Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. On this episode, I've got one of my OGs, one of the homies, uh, Greg Betters. Uh, we talk about Godzilla, Godzilla movies, aliens, his time as a special effects artist, and we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, no specific promo, no nothing, but if you do listen to this and you want to check something out, check out any of the Godzilla movies. Uh, they're obviously pretty awesome. There's tons of stuff there to learn about, and they're just overall entertaining so hopefully you enjoy this episode with greg and i and we'll see you next time specifically the aliens and the Godzillas that are on your desk. Um, you've done some work uh, back in the day in LA on a couple of movies. You're really passionate about uh, not just the toys, not just all of the old effects stuff, but even your bands, which we won't even get into because you're just a litany of all these incredible things in my opinion. No, stop, no. But let's start yeah. with Godzillas because, of course, as I did the first time, the first thing I'm going to ask you is what was it about the 98, 99 Godzilla movie <laughs> that all, or I shouldn't say all, but most of Godzilla fans just hated? Um, I think the thing that 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 um, really sets that one apart, that why people hated it was, first of all, it was the first American Godzilla movie. They had tried to do it before back in the 80s. Uh, the, one of the producers from Friday the 13th tried to do it, tried to make a 3D one. That fell apart. Then in 94, the um, guy that directed um, Speed was supposed to do it. Stan Winston created um, some suits for it. They looked amazing. You can see them online. Looks like Godzilla. Um, that fell through. And then it went to the guys that made Independence Day. And they didn't even want to do Godzilla. They didn't even, they were offered it. They didn't want to do it. Um, they went to Toho, Toho said, look, here's specifics about Godzilla that you, you know, that you have to do. He doesn't eat people. Um, he's gotta be, you know, he's gotta have the dorsal plates. Um, can't really show emotion, blah, blah, blah. Well, they came back and said, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, what's his name? Roland Epperick came back and said, all right, well, here's Godzilla. They showed him a picture of Godzilla. It didn't, he, I think he was really trying to just get out of it. And they showed him a picture of Godzilla. It looks nothing like Godzilla, like the, the classic Godzilla, which, okay, they're going for a different type. So knowing that, he just, they, they Toho agreed. Now, if you know anything about Toho, they are the, the creators of Godzilla. They're the studio behind him ever since 54. They are very strict about Godzilla. I mean, about everything, about their merchandise and everything. And the fact that they just said, okay, so he made the movie. And it's basically just, it was right off the heels of Independence Day. Um, the movie didn't capture um, Godzilla as being what he is, a god. I mean, he's supposed to be this malevolent, just force of nature. And he's not, he's just an animal. And he's just basically a large T-Rex that's radiated, that, by the way, doesn't spew fire. He has like a, I don't know, some 
burp that he does or something stupid that, you know, <laughs> catches things on fire. Um, and beyond that, the movie is, to me, is, it's stupid. I mean, and look, some Godzilla movies are really stupid, but it doesn't capture the essence of Godzilla, the awe of him. And he got taken out at the end by missiles. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. Now, as years have gone by, I, I, I like it as a monster movie. I like it's a cool 90s cheesy monster movie. Um, but it's to me, it's still it's not a, a Godzilla movie. Do I like the design? Kind of. It's, you know, it's it's cool. And I can see, you know, where they were going with it. But, you know, Godzilla has this lore about him. Um, you know, that's why we're so attracted that, that he is indestructible. I mean, that's, I think that's what attracted me to him as such a little kid. He is basically your temper tantrum that if you can't have as a kid, uh, you know, you're sent to your room. What do you do? Oh, you just feel like smashing stuff. That's what he is. Right. You can't stop him. That's the, it's almost like the Superman effect of, you know, you can't, you can't tell me what to do because I'm Superman. Well, Godzilla kind of invokes that is, I'm just going to destroy the city and there's nothing you can do. You can send your tanks, your guns, everything you hit. There's nothing that can stop me. And it usually takes something incredible to stop him or you don't. And he's just, you had the world has to deal with him and live with him. Um, so I think that's why the, the 98 one, because to, it was our first shot here in America and, you know, in the United States to try it and we failed. So I was watching a video about Toho and about why they would even agree to do that. And it seemed like, or at least I was led to believe in this video and with some of the readings is that they just wanted their foot in the door to the American market. And that's why they were willing to be like, okay, you want to do Godzilla that way? Yeah. All right, let's bite the bullet so we can get into that American market. And one of the things that we talked about when I talked to you last was how genuinely like dark the origins of Godzilla really are and why the american market was not really exposed to it back then right and it was known to be these goofy monster movies because uh, and that's yeah the one thing that we talked about before was usually i mean godzilla really came to america it really hit big actually in the 70s believe it or not godzilla king of the monsters uh, the 1954 one that King of the Monsters is actually the American version where they put in Raymond Burr. Um, that was a semi hip, but not really. I mean, it, it, people knew about it, but it, it wasn't until the seventies when it really hit television. And, and um, it, it was the uh, Godzilla versus Megalon where a, that's where a lot of people that grew up with Godzilla, you know, in the Saturday morning, it was the goofy seventies ones. Now, when I say goofy, some of them are goofy. Um, I mean, by nowadays they are, some of them are really dark, but they played like, you know, those ones in him versus the smog monster, Hedora. They're goofy. Um, you know, so when this hit people, re- when the 90, 98 one hit, people were like, oh, it's just a stupid Godzilla movie. And if you really research Godzilla going back, that 54, the original Gorgira is horrifying. There's parts in that movie that still make me tear up. Seriously, they make me tear up. Like there's a scene in there where a mother is hovered over her children. It's that classic shot and the buildings are, you know, collapsing around her. And she actually says, we're going to go see daddy now. It's just horrible. 
And then there's another shot where they show the mom dead and the kids are screaming over. It's basically an allegory to Hiroshima and the nuclear bomb. They, that's what they wanted to make. They wanted uh, Toho originally wanted to make like a movie about that. And no, 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 you can't make that. So I said, all right, well, we're going to make it. We're going to make it, but we're just going to put in a monster, a radiated monster that has kilo scars on him that looks like he's been burned. Right. That's basically what it is. So I think going back to 98, it was kind of disrespectful that that was... And I say, you know, talking about Godzilla, disrespectful. But on the lore, I think that's what us fans felt like. It's kind of disrespectful to the lore. Um, and that's why I think the 2014 one, even though he wasn't made by a, a, a nuclear bomb, he still was going, he was trying to, he was more of the protector. And he was a god. Right. You don't know how old he is. He's millions of years old. He's this ancient god. And they went more for the Godzilla towards the Heisei and towards the early, the late seventies where he's a protector of the earth. Um, you know, and that means getting rid of nuclear shit. So that's why I think a lot of people liked the newer ones, the legendary ones, um, which started in four, 2014 and he looked badass. He looked amazing. I know now in this, you know, in the Godzilla community, I know a lot of people. Some of my good friends hate the design of the new one. Really? I, I, I know. I don't get it. They say that he has a small head, which, okay, he does. But I don't know. I don't know how much closer you could get to. First of all, he looks so badass. I mean, he, he just, it's Godzilla, that silhouette. Gareth Edwards, when he, the director of that film, when he was, when he was helping with the designers and everything, I want it to look like, you know, I know viewers can't see this though, but I have a, I have um, an X plus Godzilla here. There's the silhouette of the classic Godzilla. You look at that and you say, that's Godzilla, you know, and they treated him like a God and that's what he's kind of supposed to be. It's very um, HP Lovecraft. I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, that's what I see in the 2014 one, especially he's this old God that arises from the sea, like kind of like Cthulhu, Mm -hmm. except he's a protector kind of where Cthulhu just wants to destroy. So that's where I think a lot of people really enjoyed the newest one. I know I did. I like them all. I like all the new ones. Um, But as far as, you know, again, getting back to 98, I think that's the biggest reason is that it just wasn't Godzilla. One of the suit actors, I can't remember his name. It wasn't obviously uh, Nakajima, the original guy that played him for like 20 years. But one of the suit actors that played him during the Heisei series, when he was at the premiere, at the premiere in New York, I believe, got up halfway through the movie, 98, and walked out and said, there is no soul to this movie that is not Godzilla. Right. I mean, and that's where the Gino moniker comes from. Yes. Godzilla, Godzilla only in name. Yep. Yeah. Godzilla in name only. Sorry. Yes. Gino, Zilla. And they even in Godzilla Final Wars, which is a Japanese that that's one of the last Toho ones of the Millennium series, which is in the 2000s, which in my opinion is not a good Godzilla movie. I mean, because look, I'm not saying every Godzilla movie is good either. 
There are, there are some stinkers. I mean, there's like 30 of them. Um, I, I like parts of all of them, but I think that one, especially final wars, which was supposed to be, that was the 40th anniversary, I believe. Yeah. The, I think it was. Yeah, it was the 40th anniversary of Godzilla. They were supposed to go out with a bang, not make Godzilla movies for a, for a while. And it basically was just a fan flick for me. That's all it was. And it was stupid. It, it didn't make any really sense. Um, a lot of us don't like the movie, but we liked how Godzilla looked. Um, but they had Zilla in it. And basically saying that that this, basically the Americans thought that was Godzilla and it wasn't. And Godzilla, the true Godzilla, kicks his ass in Australia. It, it the, the fight is like I, I think the fight is like, a total of four seconds. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, straight just up kicks Zilla's kicks ass. Him, yeah, and just blows him up. You know, um, so that's why. I mean, so let me ask you this then: like, as you keep going, because one of the things that in all of the reading and in different videos I've watched, I've noticed is that there's so many subtle differences between different Godzillas whether mm-hmm. you know he's got like four fingers or, or five or or you know the placement of the dorsals and, and how big they are how small they are when you go to that level of detail is that another reason why a lot of people like to collect as well because there's yes. so many different small subtle things that have been changed from each Godzilla's there's so many small things but there's also so many I mean things that are so drastically different like the two that I have right here on this Yep. I mean, you couldn't get any different. I mean, sure, they're upright. They have dorsal fins. But if you look at these, I mean, this is going more to the classic 54, but taking it to um, taking it to a horror extreme. Like, you feel sorry for this thing. This thing is just an abomination. It's just, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's soulless. It's just a walking monolith with eyes. And it's just scabbed and disgusting and just... It looks like it's turned inside out. It almost, it's very um, Cronenberg. It's almost like okay, it yeah. went, it, almost like it went through um, the uh, device that uh, Brundlefly made, you know, and then it got like turned inside out. That's what it reminds me of. Like, it's like, you can see bones sticking out of it. It's, it's just disturbing. Um, and then you got the classic Heisei, which is Godzilla. You know, he's just, it's, the silhouette of Godzilla, but in the Heisei series in the nineties and in 84, it's pretty much, I mean, they're different. Us Godzilla dorks know like the difference is, well, this one's a little chubbier and this one has, you know, the dorsal plates are a little bit more classic, but if you, if, if you were to just show the different ones, they're pretty much the same. It's when you go back into the sixties where they really change some of them are hysterically funny, which I love. I mean, Godzilla versus King Kong, he looks like Kermit the Frog, which I love. He looks so goofy. Um, 64, he's kind of got these jowly cheeks. Uh, it, it, he looks awesome still. He looks really scary, but he's got these like almost bulldoggy cheeks. Um, and then you get into the late 60s where it went really goofball, um, where he almost looks like Cookie Monster. Um, and then in the seventies, they basically just turned him into a hero, like a rock'em sock'em kind of boxing hero. Um, What's yeah, the one that you showed me when I was there, where you have just like the head and the eyeballs look like? I'm, that's I don't, that's I don't sixty-four. 
That's sixty-four. Yeah, he's very. You no, know, he's Muppety. No, he is. I mean, that's the. <laughs> I mean, that's the charm of it of these guys in a suit. And what's funny is if you watch these, they recycle a lot of them, but they'll change the head. And once you get into the sixties and seventies, it's when they kind of were running out of money, and they were just using stock footage, and they were using old footage from old, old movies, and the suits are falling apart. I believe it's in. Um, Godzilla versus uh, not Megalon, um, Gigan. The suit's falling apart. Like it's straight up falling apart. You can almost see the guy through the suit, and they don't fix it. I mean, it's and, but that's that's part of the charm, though. It's just you know, especially with uh, Blu-ray now, you can see everything. I mean, back when we used to watch it on cable on you know little CRT TVs. You know, you're watching them. You couldn't really see all that shit. Now it's like you can see, like, like when the helicopter's going by, you could see the strings and everything. But it's kind of part of the charm. And what they did to um, that suit actor, rest his soul. I mean, rest in peace, uh, Nakajima. I mean, they light the guy on fire. They throw f- like legit like M80s at him, put him in water. He almost drowned. They would just torture this poor guy's head caught on fire. And I guess that's part of the art of it too, of all of these suits, why we collect all of these too, of the pain that that guy went through. Literally. I mean, he was passing out in 54 because you got to remember in 1954, when they made that first movie, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They originally wanted to do um, stop motion like Kong. I mean, Kong was a big, King Kong was a huge inspiration. They wanted to make a monster movie. Well, they didn't have the money of RKO. They didn't have that kind of money to do stop motion. So they, they did put a guy in a suit, put a dude in a suit, you know, and they had some puppets too, like for close up shots, which if you watch it now, it's like, yeah, it's so a puppet. Like it's, but the movie still works. If I, I try to watch it, I, I know this sounds really campy, but I watch it on the anniversary of the death of uh, Nakajima, the suit actor, um, which I never got to meet. A lot of my friends got to meet him, not only meet him, but become like personal friends with him. He would come over to G-Fest every year with his daughter, Um, my buddy Rich, Christine, David Dopko has interviewed him. And he just seemed like such a wonderful man and just so grateful that he was a part of this and very humble. Like he would come over to America and be like, why are you so like... I was just a suit actor for, a, you know, for Godzilla. It's like, you don't know the inspiration. Like, that was our childhood. But anyways, every year I watch it on his anniversary. Now, it sounds kind of goofy, but I watch it. And it still gets me every time. It's still like that. After I'm done with it, it's just this haunting dread. Like I, And that's what it's supposed to do. It's not a comedy. It's not funny at all. There's no satire or anything it is just a straight up bleak story and it's basically just a warning to mankind don't go messing with things that you're you know that that weren't you're not fully aware of yet you know or it's basically just saying stay away from nuclear war obviously i mean it's uh you know just it's a it's a warning basically and i don't think we've learned anything and but anyways, <laughs> that's, a, that's a topic for another day. Yeah, it's sure. a topic for another thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Godzilla has a huge, um, on me anyways, uh, huge impact on me um, ever since I was a little kid. So it's not just some campy thing, you know, which I love all that stuff, but it's also just the, the lore. I mean, this is, my dad remembers Godzilla, obviously. My dad was, God, 
12, 13 when it came out, he remembers seeing it. So it's a generational thing too. Sure. You know, now there's new kids that are coming out and the first thing they're exposed to are these new films, yeah. you know? And what's exciting is you'd think when they would go back and watch the old ones, they'd be like, you know, oh, these suck. These are stupid. Look at this guy in a suit. They actually love them. They love them. It's almost like it's just something that you don't, because you know why I think they love them? Because you don't see it anymore. Right. You just don't see kaiju movies like that with men men in suits or women in suits. You just don't see it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a lost art, you know? So I'm kind of hoping it comes back a little bit, you know, kind of merge the two. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, because the same thing's happening with CGI today, right? There's people CGI, making yeah. the argument like, oh, CGI could pretty much just take over a movie. But, and we had this conversation last time. I'm probably going to yeah. say this a whole bunch. But there is something specific about a person acting that feels way more um, natural. Now, I know there's different ways to do CGI. Like, uh, what was it? Um, uh, Schmeagle in the yeah. Lord of the Rings and whatnot. But it's still... Um, you know, what's his name? Andy? Oh, geez. I'm going to forget. Andy Circus. He's still doing the motions. The computer's still tracking his movements. Yeah. And in um, the Planet of the Apes movies, too. Yes. And we know it's CGI, but there, there's so much emotion there. And for Godzilla 2014 and Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was in 2019, oh, I can't remember his name, but there was a guy that played him that did the same thing that Andy Godzilla? Circus did. Yeah, he played Godzilla. So you can actually see his face in there. You know, there's like there's there's emotion behind there. Like when he's when you zoom in on his face, when he's given that kind of look to you, there's some emotion there. Um, what I would love to see for, for Toho, because now that Godzilla and Kong, that was a big hit. Who knows if they're going to make any more? It The rights do go back to Toho. They're supposed to be making new movies. I would love to see new Japanese Godzilla movies. Um Shin Godzilla that was done in 2016 was the first Godzilla movie that Toho made that was strictly CGI. They had some things that were animatronic, but I, I don't even think they used them, and it looked amazing. And I have to say, for, for the budget constraints that they had, it did look amazing, and it did look like a guy in a suit. So that's why I'm almost thinking, why not do a guy in a suit and then just you know, chroma key them in or, you know, um, green screen them in uh, or do something where there are sets and then just, um, you know, put CGI elements in there. Like if you don't want his eye, if you want his eyes to blink a certain way, do that. But like, I think we were talking before, there's that uncanny valley is what it's called, where your eye looks at something and knows that is not real. Best example of that for me was when I saw Rogue One and they had Tarkin. They had a CGI Tarkin. Yep. It just didn't look right. It looked it looked good. And now, granted, props to the animators and everything because I know they spent a lot of time on that. Those artists are incredible. But when it comes down to it, I know they're on a deadline. You know, I I, I know that they they're, they're on time constraints. But there's and the same thing with Leia at the end. You just looked at it. And you're like, oh, it's cool, but something's not right there. Eyes look a little weird. You know, it's just, it's it's all in the eyes. And there's just something artificial about it. Versus if you were to have, 
even with a creature or a monster, when you have a creature or a monster in camera, something that you know light is bouncing off of it and it's not artificial, somebody lit that on that set, if there's something that says, wow, that's really cool. That's why uh, I think Del Toro, uh, director, um, that did like the Hellboy movies and did uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Labyrinth, yeah. Look at those creatures. And he did, and that's the best, that's a great example of the, the Thin Man um that Doug uh, Doug Jones played they basically just CGI'd his legs his legs were there but they they made his legs thinner and they it, if you look at the behind the scenes it looks kind of goofy like his legs are green in some spots but in others it was just to make him look thin but there's they had him in makeup and everything that's how you do CGI um and to me that's even creepier that's where CGI can really to the eye look amazing. Like you're looking at something, you know, it's lit, right? Your eye, you don't even have to be an artist. You could just be, you know, your regular Joe going to the movie theater and you're like, that is freaking creepy. Um, the fawn that was in that, which was also played by Doug Jones. Um, it was Doug Jones has yeah. done a lot of that type of, yeah. of work. In, right? in Hellboy, he did that. Yeah. He had like, he had the, Oh, what are they called? I can't remember the creep, the main creatures in the first Hellboy. There was a guy in a suit running around, but then all the tentacles on his head were CGI. So it right. was cool. And some of the tentacles were actually there. So your eye's not going to really look and see, okay, what's that right there? Your eye's just going to be drawn to the center of that object and be like, that is a real thing. All the other stuff is just there. You know, I think of going back to um, American Werewolf in London, why that still works. A lot of hard work went into that. And again, they had to come up with that. Rick Baker, there was no guide or program that you'd go to to, or pixels to make a guy turn into a werewolf on screen, not only on screen, but in a well-lit room and using foam latex, which light notoriously bounces off of that makes it look like rubber. I mean, it's, it's, you have to basically, the eighties effects guys had to become kind of like magicians and you had to think you had to become, um, uh, inventors because yeah. there's no book. There's no way there's, you don't go to a shop and buy, I want a werewolf kick. You know, you have to make this shit. And these guys were young. I mean, we're talking like barely out of their teens, like Rob Botin doing the howling at 20. You go watch that movie and watch that transformation scene. It's amazing. It, it looks better than CGI. I'm sorry, it does. Um, and those werewolves are amazing. It's in you know, it comes down to ingenuity. That's what it is. Well, and it's, it's kind of lost things, now. Yeah, that was one of the things that you were we were talking about before, and we've actually talked about a long time ago as well. Is with your time that you got to spend out in LA doing effect stuff, the one thing that you had said is you've got to be able to think on the fly. You were yeah. telling me, I think at one point you had done some weird thing for like blood because you had to, because all the blood got spilled or some something like that. What what was that one? No, that was, was actually was that was that was a that was a film um, that was shot here. I worked with oh, Mike right. Del Rosa, and uh, who is uh, another effects guy from Rochester, um, and I was helping him on this, and it actually was starring the guy who played. Um, uh, big Puss, Big Pussy in Sopranos. So he was in it. I can't remember his name, but he was in it. And we had to shoot him. We were down at um, Mount Hope Cemetery. No, I think we were at Mount Hope Cemetery or Riverside. One of the cemeteries, not Mount Hope. 
and he gets shot in the cemetery. So originally all they wanted us to do was to spray blood on a tombstone. And it was actually the director's like um, mother or something tombstone. So, cause he didn't want to offend anybody. So he's like, oh, my mom would love this. You know, my mom would love this. So it's like, okay, okay. I remember that. So originally it was just supposed to be that it was supposed to be just like they shoot it and then we we're going to spray blood. Well, at the last second they were like, well, how about we shoot him in the head? And we're like, well, we don't have anything for that. We don't, you know, you don't just shoot somebody in the head and then they want, they wanted him to fall down and see an open wound. Well, we didn't have anything. So for catering, what they had was pizza. So, you know, Maybe Mike would get mad telling this. It's like a secret, but and it looks great on the film. Uh, I think it's called The Rochester Method. I believe it is. It might be online. I don't know. Um, but I think that's the name of the movie, The Rochester Method. Um, and <laughs> so we just, I, I believe, and I, I apologize, it was like 20 years ago. I think what we did was we snaked tubing, like fish tubing, up, the, uh, up his clothes and then, you know, up, to, up into his head. And then I believe I just blew on it, like blew blood through it. So the spurt went out the top of his head, you know, we're talking, you know, real high tech here, (laughs) you know, and then that's all we did. And we shot it from the front so you don't see it. Like, so, you know, it worked. And then when he fell down the wound, we took pizza and stuck it in his hair. And I remember, you know, him being Italian. I remember him saying something like, oh, you're ruining good pizza, putting it in my hair. What's the matter with you? He, I remember he was so nice. He was so cool. I mean, he let us put pizza in his hair, for God's sakes. And we just kind of moved it around. We took cheese and it looked like part of brain matter and everything and tomato and mushed it up. And it, you know what? It looked, I'm sorry, somebody gets shot. It doesn't look pretty, especially in hair. Right. So it didn't, it's not like we needed like a, a prosthetic on his face or anything like that. It was on the top of his head. And it looks, I'm sorry, I remember seeing it. It looks great. It's pizza. It's fucking pizza. So, I mean, that's some of the simplest stuff that we've done where you just look around and that's literally us just looking around going, what could we use? And there it was, pizza. (laughs) Well, so far of all the stories you've ever told me, my favorite is you driving back towards L.A., Oh yeah, with a truck full of body parts. Yeah, yeah. What? So that was that, that was the was that Children of the Corn movie or was that yes. Vampires? Children of the Corn Part Five, five I believe it is. Yeah. So this okay. So the <laughs> the story goes. Oh, this is. Oh, wait one second. Sure. Because I have one of the props. Remember we were talking That's about right. this. Yes. Give me. Not even yeah. 30 seconds, man. Hold on. Here, no, here's no. Godzilla for you. Let me go grab it. <laughs> I should have grabbed this before. Hold on. None of this is getting cut out, by the way. This is legitimate. This is what happens sometimes in, in interviews, and it's sometimes the best part of them. Just knowing that someone's going to hear this part and be like, why didn't, what the fuck? I know Dennis is going to. If he ever hears this part, he's going to be like, dude, you should have put this one. That's my dog, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> Otto. Okay, so here we go. Stop it. Okay, so. This. I'm showing you, Caleb. This is it right here. 
So this is from Kane Hodder, the guy who played Jason. Uh, Jason Voorhees. I don't remember seeing this. I remember seeing the uh, vampire prop. I didn't even bring it down. I don't know why, but this is it. So this is basically called a fart bag. I believe it's called. And this is so juvenile, but all you do is you squeeze it. And so you can make it. I know this is really highbrow stuff here. Okay. But if you put it in your pocket, you know, you can literally put it in your pocket and just, you know, sit there and talk to somebody and just go, you know, it sounds really good. It sounds like a fart. I mean, you know, so anyway, so, <laughs> so the reason why I bring that up is, so I arrive on set, uh, we're out in, I believe, it, I believe it was Barstow or some, somewhere in the, and I could be wrong. It, it was, again, this was 25, almost 30 years ago. Um, we were out in the desert and there apparently was a cornfield out there that we could use or something. So it's children of the corn basically out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, I drove the effects truck out there. Um, Mike got my buddy, Mike, who was working with me, got dropped off later, but anyways, so Kane Hodder, not only did he play Jason for a number of movies, I mean, he's known as Jason Voorhees. The guy's a legend. He's great, great stuntman. He's a stunt coordinator. So I had no idea he was going to be the stunt coordinator. So I usually don't like fanboy out. I try not to, especially when you're working on a film or anything. But I kind of fanboyed out when I saw him. I knew exactly who he was. I come walking down the hill and there he is. He's the stunt coordinator for this. So I'm like, hi, my name's Greg. I'm the effects guy here. I'm going to be doing like the body parts and stuff. And the first thing he says is, he goes, hi, it's nice to meet you. That's what happens. And I, and he's got it hidden, so I don't know what's happening. So Jason just farted on me. Literally, Jason Voorhees fart the first time. He, so I, I'm trying to act professional, and he looks dead. I have a poker face at me. He goes, I'm sorry, I have I have, I have, have a gas problem. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm trying not to let, and he keeps on doing it. Like he keeps on crouching down with me. So we're going to go over here, and he keeps on farting and farting and farting and farting. I lose it. I just go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So finally he shows me and I'm like, oh my God. So I got pranked by Jason. So this is awesome. So Mike comes to the set. My, my buddy, Mike, who's also was work, was working on me on this film. And I tried not to laugh for the longest time with him trying to be polite. He did that to Mike once and Mike just lost it. Almost fell on the floor laughing, just started like red face laughing. So he showed him it too. So anyways, we start working on this movie we start working on the effects. We're like throwing body parts around. We've got literally like four or five bodies. They're all chopped up and they're silicone. So they look pretty real. Um, David Carradine was in that. So it was a great set day. It was an awesome day, but it's like we wrapped at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning, I believe. So it's obviously dark. We're tired. We're covered in blood, literally just, I have blood all over my face because we were squirting blood on people. I can't even remember the deaths. Like, they were just ridiculous. So we're throwing these body parts in the back of the effects truck. The effects truck has a cab on it, too, um, which you could see in, but it had a cab on it. Throwing all this in, we've got garbage bags lined up, and we had these big, like, um, barrels of blood. Barrels of blood. We load them up. We're just tired. We want to go home. So we're driving and we're driving and there's nothing, you know, this is one of the time, unfortunately we smoked and, um, 
like we saw a gas station come up. So we're like, you know, let's just stretch our legs because it's a little ways till we get back home. And yeah, I need to get some cigarettes. We'll get some cigarettes. And Michael's, I'll get them. So we pull into this gas station. Mind you, I'm covered in blood. Like I have blood splattered all over me. Mike has blood splattered all over him. It's, you know, and for us, it's like miners working in a coal mine. You come home with coal all over you. You know, it's just, you just, it's just part of the job. Right. So, and we pull in and there's a cop car there with two officers in there. I go right by the cop. I mean, we drive right by them. I look right at both of them and I smile and wave with blood all over my face. So we pull in and Mike, yeah. Mike gets out and he's like sees him and waves to him too. He's like, oh, yeah. So he goes in to get the cigarettes. And afterwards, Mike told me the guy at the counter looked at me weird. <laughs> yeah, because we're covered in blood. So he comes out of the he comes out of the gas station, goes to get into the car, into the truck, and all of a sudden I hear footsteps like running, like on concrete. I'm like, what the hell is that? I look over, I'm in the passenger seat. I look over and point it at me as a gun. So Mike is already in the car. He's not all the way in the car. He has the door open and he has the keys in the ignition. And the, the other cop is pointing a gun at him. So we're just frozen there for a second. And the cop yells to Mike, with your left hand, turn off the ignition. So Mike goes to turn off the ignition with, of course, his right hand. The cop told him with the left because it's awkward. And he goes to do it and he goes, I said with your with your left hand, screams it. Mike screamed so loud and he would never admit this, but it did. It was very high pitched. Anyways, I would have done the same fucking thing, man. Right, you know, right. so he turns off the car. These guys look like their eyes are bugging out of their head. Like they've been on a caffeine bender. Their eyes are just like, holy crap. Cause what we didn't realize is when they came up to the truck, we're running up to the truck. They both looked in the back of the cab and they saw all the bodies and they saw all of the, the uh, garbage bags. And right. also what they noticed when we pulled in is what we didn't notice is that one of the barrels of blood had spilled in the back and was pouring out the back. And I guess there's poachers around in that area. So that's what they thought we they we were. But when they saw like an arm, a leg, a head, and they're all covered in blood and with garbage bags, they were I, I well, they were just terrified. They're like so they pull us out. And then what makes this worse is so I start putting two and two together. I get out of the truck and I look in the back. And when he's looking at the, the cops looking in the back of the 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 cab. I look in the back of the cab. I look at him and I start laughing. That's a great thing to do. Fucking what a fucking idiot I was. Oh my God. I start laughing because in my mind, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so funny. They think that's real. I have a gun pointed to my head. What a dumbass. Maybe I shouldn't start. So I start saying, you don't, what was I saying? No, no, you have it all wrong. Oh my God. This is so funny. He goes, I don't see what's so fucking funny about this. And he grabs us. They handcuff us. We're over towards the the cop cars. We're just trying to say it's fake. It's fake. It's not real. We're working out a film. Chill the corn, whatever. It's got David Carradine, blah, blah, blah. Malachi. So so finally there's like eight cop cars show up. They're all there. They're all looking at us like we're, you know, 
like they want to kill us. They're like, Ugh. so as all of this is happening, this chaos, like I'm looking at Mike and I'm like, can you, be-? I'm just whispering, can you believe this shit? Are we going to like get, a, like what's going on? So as all this chaos is erupting, the sound guy pulls in from the film that we were just working on. We had just worked like 12 hours with this guy, got to know him and everything. You know, he's this nice guy. I can't remember his name. Really nice guy. But apparently he pulled in after. He pulls in right as this shit is happening, pulls in, sees us. We look at him. We're like, let's say his name is Frank. We're like, Frank, Frank, Frank. He just keeps on going and doesn't even stop. Goes right out the exit. <laughs> Looks right at us. And we're like, you motherfucker. And he could have just said, no, he's like, I'm not having any part of this. No. I don't know what you two psychos are doing. Yeah. So finally they figure out that it's fake. One of them goes in there and they see the foam under something. And so the guy comes up to us on handcuffs us and he says, you know, I'm sorry and everything, man. But when you guys came up, we have po- we first thought you were poachers. And then when I saw those bodies, man. Holy crap. And you started laughing. He goes, I'm going to tell you something. You would have made one false move, anything. I would have shot you. And I said, I know, I'm sorry I laughed, but you have to understand. He goes that it was just something that affects guys always talk about. Like, can you imagine if we got pulled over with this shit in our car? <laughs> and it happened to us. And it was insane. And I, I can only imagine seeing you two. Like just grinning and waving at these cops, just oh, covered yeah. in blood, like a couple of jackasses. Yeah, I think I had like a white shirt on. No, you know what I had on? I know exactly. I rem- God, this is. I had a sublime shirt on, a white sublime shirt on, and it had a little tiny logo. The rest of it was just covered in blood, like the like the whitest shirt you could imagine, just covered in blood. And you know, as you can see in my complexion, I'm basically like transparent white here. So blood on me looks like it's just ridiculous. I look like a ghost. So with the blood splats all over my face, it's just stupid. Just I look back on that. I could have died. I could have been shot. That's the way to go. Stupid effects guy gets shot for laughing because, you know, just I can imagine that. But, yeah, there's there's some great times back then, you know, and that's the thing looking back on that time, it was a time where, you know, you worked. I mean, we worked all day and for 12 hours and I loved it. Loved every second of it. We, I back hurt, everything hurt, but it was great. It was fun. This And this is when you were working with, for Soda FX? At least Soda FX, bit? yeah. Own, at the time it was owned by uh, Roy Kinnearum and uh, Jerry Macaluso. And, um, some of the best bosses I've ever had. I hope I didn't butcher their last names either. Um, but uh, Jerry still does. Jerry owned a toy company in the 2000s. He started and uh, sold it, I believe. Um, it was under Soda Soda Toys. And then it became, I think, PCS Toys, I believe. And he did figurines, did sculpture. The guy's amazing. If Just look up. Just look up his name. He's absolutely amazing. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. I talk to him all the time. He's fantastic. We about a year ago we um, I posted something on his site about um, uh, Richard Elfman movie, Danny Elfman's brother. We worked on Modern Vampires, and it's the movie is just pure chaos. But it was some of the the best times I've ever had um, with Casper Van Diem in it. Um, 
oh god who else there's um so many other actors that were in that movie but it was just it was such a great time but it the movie was just chaos but i remember looking back and just saying i'll never do this again i mean now where we work it's you know it's corporate and everything like that i couldn't imagine going into work and today yeah what am i going to do um a naked vampire is just going to run down and stab somebody and rip off their head and drink their blood. Oh, and by the way, it's Kim Cattrall. You know, it's just like, that's what my work is right now. I'm going to watch Kim Cattrall lift up Udo Kier's head and drink from it. I mean, that's, I, come on, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, that is, that is yeah, nice. you know, that, that's pretty awesome. Um, and I miss that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But what I don't miss is be basically being a freelancer and you are constantly looking for work. Because even though I would work for Soda Effects, uh, and I was young back then too, and they took care of me. They really did. I, I mean, when I went out there, I was pretty green. And basically everything that I, you know, that I thought that, you know, I'm pretty good at this. Oh, I was shit. I mean, I worked with some of the best sculptors in the world and they, you know, knock you down a peg or two or a hundred. Um, Jerry himself is an amazing sculptor. Um, there's so many, the list goes on and on, but just seeing these people um, and just taking some little bits from them that I could was just an honor. Um, but, you know, those times I, I look back on it and it's like, I was constantly updating my resume. Just imagine constantly looking for a job. You know, like either when you, if you get laid off or, you know, something happens at your job, then you have to, that stress, it's constant. Because even if you have a job right now, you're constantly worried about the future because if they're not working, you're not working. So you go to other companies and they don't care. They understand. I mean, I worked for a couple, I worked for uh, Kyoto Brothers as well, too. They're the famous uh, guys that did um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space They've done a lot of movies. They've done a lot of things, special effects wise. But those brothers directed Killer Clowns from Outer Space and did all of the stuff. So working in that shop, oh, so fun. I worked on a movie called, I believe it's called King Cobra with um, Pat Morita. Um, I don't know if I'm credited in IMDb for that, but I did the scales and the teeth for that, for that Cobra. Um, Helped out with the skins and everything. In the movies, I haven't seen it. It's probably pretty bad. But, um, <laughs> you know, it had a cool giant cobra in it. And I got to do that with the Kyoto Brothers. I get to go into the shop and, you know, I grew up with this stuff. I mean, yeah. I watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space tons of times. That movie to me is the, like, it's so funny and it's so great. It's so tongue in cheek. And to be in that same shop, to walk by and there they are. There's the Killer Clowns from Outer Space. They're sitting right there. The actual ones when I was a kid, watch them like just in awe because those things were amazing. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a great time. But if you're anything like me, if you're um, hypochondriac about things as far as like your future and stuff like that, that was definitely not the uh, the um, career to get into because right. you kind of have to have like a lackadaisical look on life, which I don't. Um, which Jerry does. I mean, Jerry told me one time, you know, when we, I wasn't working and it was one of the first times my bank account hit like a negative. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? He's like, he goes, you're just going to die. You know that you're going to die. 
He goes, it's just math. And he said to me, he goes, do you know how many times that's happened to me? It's math. I wish I could think that way, but I can't. So I look at it now as I can still do, not do the exact same stuff, but as long as I get to paint stuff um, on my own and do stuff like bands, anything with art, um, sculpt stuff or paint, my Godzilla things or alien things, then that's fine for me. You know, that's, I look back on that and I look now and say, that's fine for me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that are now able to do that and actually realize that they can just do things as a hobby. I mean, I feel like today and I could be wrong, but today everyone's like pushing like, oh, make your hobby into a a hustle, make money off it. Like, no, fuck that. How about my hobby be my hobby? And I just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing now, I guess really the only way to do that is to own your own effects company which good luck with that um especially like in the 80s and 90s when it was booming you know a lot of people they made tons of money but now i mean there's not many left i mean stan winston is still around um knb is still around um but i've been out of it for so long there might be more but i mean i know a lot of them closed down because of cgi too um that was a big transition in the early 2000s right Oh yeah, it, mostly actually in the or night. Right, right when I was really getting into it, you know, I had sunk my feet in. I started to get into it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Nope, and it was <laughs> devastating. It was. I, I mean, that's what I just. That's what I wanted to do my whole life is to work in special effects, and I actually did it. I actually met people, and I went and you know worked on it, and then to have that taken away from you, I'm not going to lie, it sucked. It really sucked. That year when I came back to Rochester, it sucked. And then it wasn't until I got my footing in, went went to school again and, you know, learned to like other things too. And, you know, not, not to be pigeonholed into one thing and to appreciate my time that I had. That's the thing. I was out there for a few years and I appreciate just that. Yeah. That alone, the experience, meeting these people, working with actors and these incredible um, artists, that they gave me a shot to go out there and do that. Even though it was short-lived, my experiences, I'm still talking about them today, 25 right. years later, about Children of the Corn Part 5, you know? Um, not the greatest movie, but to me, every time somebody brings that movie up or if I see it, I'm like, oh, God, I'll never forget that. You well, know, how that's many a, guys or girls, for that matter, in the world have had Jason Voorhees fart on them? Oh, my God. <laughs> God, that was funny. I mean, there's you probably know. a good handful because it sounds like he might have done that a few times. But still, yeah, that's you know, an experience then, that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And the people that I worked with have gone on to do. Now, people may say this is not great things, but they've done things. Uh, the uh, the effects coordinator for I believe it was Children of the Corn Part 5. Uh, in a couple movies that we worked on at Soda, it was Anthony C. Ferrante, who I used to hang out with and stuff. And, you know, he may or may not remember me, but I used to hang out with this guy. And if you look him up now, he's the director of all the Sharknado movies. So, I mean, look, they're stupid movies and everything, but they know they're stupid. But he made a living off of that, of, you know, something ridiculous like that. But he was the effects coordinator of that. So I met him, all these people that you know, these great artists and actors and, you know, um, it's fantastic. You know, it's, it was such a fantastic experience. And instead of just looking back and going, Oh, I will for those days. No, I love my life now. You know, I love 
having my dork cave down there that, you know, that my wife doesn't want to kill me for that. She's acceptive of my, you know, of all of the shit that I have down there. I mean, I, I love just doing that and talking about it and talking with other people and, you know, the, the passion that we have for effects, monsters, creatures and stuff. It's, it, um, makes you, it keeps you young. You know, that's, yeah, that's the thing I, playing in bands and, you know, collecting all this goofy monster stuff makes me happy. And that's the whole point, right? I mean, unless you're miserable, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. that, do what makes you happy. Well, that was you know? one of the cool things, you know, when I first got to know you and you would be sitting there looking at, you know, a Godzilla figurine or an alien one and being like, you know, I wonder if I could use a different texture to make this tongue more realistic. And I'm sitting over here like, the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> but as time goes on, like I start to realize, and then you show me a couple of things here and there and kind of explain a little more about the background. It's like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. That's pretty fucking cool when you really think about it. Well, yeah, and, and that's a that's what you call like kit bashing is what they say, you know, when like when you add on to like a figure or if you uh you know, I, I think every single one of my figures, almost every single one, I do something to it. Even the ones that are crazy expensive, like the gigantic ones that you were talking about, um, a couple of them I'll either, and I know, look, they're they're mass produced, but they're really not. There's only like 500 of them made sometimes, sometimes a thousand, which seems like a lot, but it's not. And they're all hand painted and I understand they got to get them out and everything. And as is, they're incredible. But what I'll do is like, for instance, on... Um, like the 2019, I thought the teeth could be just glossier a little bit. Like the inside of the mouth could be a little wetter. So I'll literally, all, all I'll do is just put some uh, gloss in there. Um, or I'll paint something a certain way. Just little touch-ups that I want to do. And they're, you know, people are like, oh, you just ruined it. They're not really. No, I didn't. It's my, I'm not getting rid of these things. They're mine. I can do what right. I want with them. Um you know, so I do little things like that and like the kits that I do and stuff. But, um, I, yeah, if I can even do little stuff like that, that that in, that that feeds me as far as my creativity that I need. You know, who knows what I'm going to do to this 54 when it comes when I have the gigantic uh, 54? Maybe nothing. Let's let's start with where the hell are you going to put it, bro? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, like my buddy, well, one of the Rich. coolest, one of the coolest ones you did though that I liked the most, like the painting stuff and the attention to detail that you have to them is, is, I mean, to the naked eye, it doesn't look like anything. But then when you explain it, it's like, oh, okay, holy shit, you put some work into this. But the one I like the most, to be honest with you, is that LED strip you just put in Godzilla's ass there to make his <laughs> belly glow and, and look like you know he's you know I don't know is it called priming? Is that what he does before he fucking? Yeah, I think that for the Shin Godzilla, he's like radi radiating, I believe is what it is. And um, he's just basically, he's a walking mountain of radiation. And um, I was just sitting there looking at him. And the way that these things come, they because they're so big, um, and people complain about it, that you have to put the tail on. And what you literally have to do is, because they're vinyl, you have to heat the ass up. Uh, my buddy Rich Ezzo will say, own the hole. <laughs> and you, you heat it up with a hairdryer and you just squish it in till it's squishy soft and you squish it in. And um, before I did that, I'm like, you know, what if I put LED lights up this thing? So I just shoved them up his ass and it's it. It's so simple. I mean, it's just, you just, I just, there's no, 
I mean, I literally just shove them up there. They're just like, I didn't carefully put them in there. I just let it, I just turned them upside down, threw them down in there, closed it up. There's a little thing sticking out of his butt, connected it. And now I have a little remote control so it can pulsate. That's it. That, that easiest mod. And I didn't do anything to the figure. It's not like I ruined the figure or anything. I could take it out if I want, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was just, it's really imaginative to be able to put an LED light like that, just as light strip in there. It makes it look, I mean, it takes it from a figurine to something that's like interactive. And yeah. I, I don't know, it's really cool for anyone listening to this. If you have a care to see any of it, you can actually go to uh, Fresh Vinyl Reviews on YouTube. And Greg actually did a thing um, on Fresh Vinyl. And I forget the guy's name. What's, what's Rich his Ezzo. name? Greg? Rich has, okay, you just talked about him. My bad. Yep. Sorry, Rich, if you do hear this, probably not. But <laughs> if you want to see any of like parts of that collection, just watch that video. It's like 14, 15 minutes, but it's a re- it gives you a really good idea. Um, Greg actually breaks down a couple of pieces that he has. So if you're interested, check that video out. Yeah, and now I look back at that and I'm like, wow, um, it's grown even since then tremendously. Yeah. Like my, my wife is now to the point of like, look, it's not about cost because, you know, I, but we can afford, I can afford these things. It's, it's now just about space. I have no idea where I'm going to put this stuff. You know, I, I just don't know, but I had to get that 54. If something doesn't, I, and I know completionists that are out there like Rich Esso used to be like that. He's now scaled down. He still has so much more than me, but I know completionists and they buy everything. Even if they don't even like the character, like they'll buy an Ebera. Ebera is the the sea monster that he fought in Godzilla versus Ebera, or Ebera the Terror. Like, I wouldn't buy that. I don't really like Ebera, but people just buy him. And like, where do you put it? It's it's just there's people that devote their their whole house. Their whole house is the collection. Now look, my wife is a saint for putting up with this, but come on. And she collects some things too. I mean, she does. She's got some things too, but. Not at a level of me. And, and you know, the way it happened was um, the way this whole collecting room came about was um, her, my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was down in the basement and it's a finished basement and there was nothing down there. It was just used for storage. And she's like, you know, you have all of this stuff all over the place and some of it's packed up. You have all these interesting figures. Why don't you make this like your guy's dork room, both of your guys? Okay. And it just turned in kind of like how my mother-in-law will put in ideas to my wife to do projects where it's like, Oh, and then it turns into this thing, which is great. You know, but you know, we're like, Oh boy, that's what happened. But I, except if for my wife, it was me and it right. just, she created a monster because <laughs> now it's, that's all it is down there. And you could still, I mean, you've been down there. You can walk down, you can relax. I go down there all the time, but it's becoming to the point now where I have to make some decisions on what I want to display or sell off possibly. Um, I have a lot of doubles of things. Um, but it's more than this, just that. And, and, you know, we've only touched on Godzilla. I mean, you have a whole thing of aliens. You have uh, Cthulhu I saw down there. I think a Rancor I saw. You have, uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Nightmare on Elm Street. I already forgot. Freddy, you've got Freddy yep. things down there. I saw some Venom figurines. I, saw, I mean, there's a bunch of different things. There's a movie collection down there. There's guitars. 
there's a really cool uh, uh, TV center for you to chill and watch, I imagine, most of your Godzilla films. So yeah. it's a lot more than just Godzilla. And I think that's what makes oh. it really unique and really cool is that it really, like, I feel like when I walked down there, like, the first thing that popped in my head is like, okay, this is Greg. If I had to make a room that was Greg Better's, this is the room. Yeah. Because it's got and, all of it. Yeah. And, you know, with my wife who who adores gardening and plants, I mean, she's really into it. That's what the outside of the house is now turning into. Now on our balcony, she's got tomatoes growing out there. And that's what, you know, she loves. She loves that stuff. She, I mean, outside she's got a rose bed. She, we're turning this whole thing into this giant. And why not yeah why would you want any you know i always tell her too. whatever you love to do do it you know from motorcycles with us to everything just do it just what's because i got a chance to meet her and talk to her too when i came over and the the vibe that i get is something that i've told people the entire time at least that i've been married is that marriage is not about compromise it's about understanding and just understanding what the other person needs and being able to, you know, figure that out between the two of you. You don't have to compromise. You just have to get it. And you have to understand what they need. Yeah. I mean, she knew what she was getting into. The first date we ever had. Shit, first I date hope we so. ever had, I told her straight out. I'm a dork. I got toys all over my place. I love Godzilla. I love that. I mean, I told, because that's me. I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to bullshit. This is who I am. I'm a huge dork. That's it. That's my crutch. It's not like I'm, you know some deviant or anything. I love Godzilla. I love alien. I love, you know, pop culture as far as eighties, nineties, horror movies. This is who I am. And she was like, cool. That's awesome. You're passionate about things. You know, that's, that's You're also cool. the guy that has the cool shit at work. I remember yeah. I've t- I said this story to you. I'll tell it again now because I finally actually have it recorded. <laughs> but the first day I went up to this new department, I'm sitting right next to Greg and one of our coworkers goes, Hey, don't touch a single thing on his desk because he will rip your face off or he'll murder you. And I was like, oh, shit, I better not mess up. And of course, my clumsy ass knocks over a whole bunch of like uh, like bobbleheads or 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 uh, popo, pop, whatever those figures. I know. Are. I think they were just like NECA figures. They were just like regular old NECA figures uh, for people out there. NECA is uh uh, I can't remember national entertainment something, but they're amazing at figures, and they're they're not expensive, but the detail is amazing on them. So there was like alien ones, there was um, Ash from Evil Dead, there was all kinds of ones. It was all horror movies, some Godzilla. It was just a hodgepodge of your basic eighties, nineties nostalgia creatures. You know that's basically what it is, but. They're fun. You can play with them. They're durable. They don't have to worry about breaking them or anything like that if they fall. So that's basically what they were. Well, that day I had tested that for you and none (laughs) of them broke. And I put them all back and I was like, fuck, fuck, this guy's going to kill me. And you came in the next morning or I came in, I should say, because you worked like an earlier shift. And I was like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I accidentally knocked over your stuff yesterday. And you're like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, oh, you're good. You're good with that. Like, you're not going to murder me. And then I was like, well. Let me ask him what the fuck these things are. Because <laughs> I got that vibe at that point. Like, you were just chill. And obviously, you're really into that stuff. And you were really yeah. open about it. It was it was super cool. And actually, of course, naturally snowballed. For, for anybody that listens to this that worked with us up at that location knows. For me, that was also where I learned the most about movies. 
Like, I remember sitting there listening to you guys talking about Flash Gordon. To me, it's the worst movie ever. It's a terrible movie. Why the fuck do you guys like this? Oh, it well, it's kind of falls back to why would I like a guy? Why would I like two guys in rubber suits beating the shit out of each other? And you can clearly tell it's completely fake. It's 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 a it's it's a combination of nostalgia. It's a combination of how goofy it is. Um, I just watched something on Flash Gordon the other night. Actually, I think there's there's a documentary on the guy that played him. Um, side note, that guy's now a bodyguard, like an international bodyguard. The guy that played Flash Gordon, he's like, what? Oh yeah, man. He's like serious too. But anyways, Flash Gordon is, it's cheesy. It's super, the stories like of how that movie was made, um, that originally George Lucas wanted to do it. George Lucas wanted to do it. And instead really? of, like, oh yeah. The, so the whole thing is that's what George Lucas wanted to do was Flash Gordon but he couldn't get the rights for it. So he made his own Flash Gordon called Star Wars. And then when Star Wars came out, Dilo De Rentes, um, guy that did like the new Kong, he was a famous 70s and 80s producer. Um, after Star Wars came out, he says, well, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. And the back and forth, everything that happened with that movie, we won't get into it now, but it's hysterical. It is just, they were making like stuff like up on the fly. Like, the disaster that shoot was. And I think that's all part of it too. But as a kid growing up, it had queen for the soundtrack. Um, and remember in 80, that stuff that looks so cheesy and stupid. Now that was, I got, I, for, for, you younger fo- for your young, for you younger folks out there, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. Like the puffy paint looking shirts and like the, all that shit. Like the neon, all that stuff was cool. So to me, as I was five or six when that came out, I'd watch that religiously. And there's some gory parts in it. Like that's when PG was no fucking joke. PG was like guys getting their hearts ripped out and shit. So it's our buddy Jason Evans at work. Um, That's one of his favorite movies too. Me and him bonded over that. I mean, just, and yeah. It's horrible. It's it's terrible, but I love it. I mean, I love that movie. It's, you know. Well, one of the things I learned, like, talking to you and, and the other guys that we would talk to up there was how to appreciate a film for what it is. Like, for me growing up, a movie had to be a good movie, and it had to be a good movie because it was just a good movie. Whereas now, like, you know, we've talked about this extensively as well, like Birdemic. Like, I understand why that became like a cult classic film. I get it now. So you learn to appreciate like the story, the lore, how things were made, how difficult it was to make them. That type of stuff is really cool. That's one where if you know the lore before you watch it, it makes it even funnier. If you get to know that guy and his personality and his delusion, you kind of feel sorry for him, but there's a, like, and, just his arrogance on doesn't this look amazing? Doesn't this look great? Um, that and it's it's kind of sad, but it's kind of I hate to say mean, but I'm sorry. It's funny. It's funny. Like he doesn't know what he's right. doing. He has but, no idea. But he did it. But he made the movie. Right. That's the thing. How many of us can say, "Hey, I had a goal. I'm going to achieve this." Now, granted, he didn't get his blockbuster motion picture deal. You know, whatever it is, but 
He made a fucking there movie. There was a sequel. They there made was a, sequel. a sequel. Oh, there was a sequel. I mean, the dude talked that, about a 3D. <laughs> people are like, we're talking about it. You have huge yes. people in the industry talking about Birdemic. Now, is it for the right reasons? No, because it's terrible. Same thing with The Room. But, and, and that to me is what's funny. Now, when somebody, now, not the shit on Anthony Ferrante, you know, Anthony C. Ferrante or anything like that. But sure. I, the reason why I can't really get into the Sharknado movies is because they're basically a parody of that. They know they're bad. It's supposed to be bad, and that's what it is. It's it's just not for me. That that doesn't make me laugh. The, what makes me laugh is just the absurd. Okay, Sharknado. Ha ha. Okay, then I start watching, and it's like, okay, it's just a one note punchline to me. I'm sorry, that may be harsh, but it is. It's just it's just a big punchline. The whole movie is just the giant punchline. Where when you watch a movie that, and again, this could sound really mean, but he thinks this is fantastic delusional it's kind of like the american idol when those people went on there and they think they can sing and you know and you think this is fake i don't think it is there's people out there that think that they can really sing it's kind of like the same thing it's like they think this stuff looks amazing and it's not and that's what makes it so funny that's what made the room so funny knowing the history of it i mean they made a movie on it i finally watched that greg I oh you watched the room isn't it amazing you watched it oh hi mark my God! How's your sex life? It's Holy amazing. Shit! Isn't the it great? Dialogue, just how oh my God! It's terrible. What the? F- and and you know what? The room, like as far as dialogue is concerned, exactly like Birdemic. Like yeah. nobody talks that way. That's yeah. not how people talk. Favorite line in the movie is "Oh hi, doggy." <laughs> it's just that you could totally tell it's all ADR. It's all added in. Like it's so fast. Like he walks into that room and he's like, "You're my favorite." The woman, "You're my favorite customer." Oh hi, doggy. And he just walks. In. It's so great. And then, then the endless amounts of football playing. What in the fuck was that? I, and the funny thing is, I had never seen that movie. Who got me to see that movie was my wife. I had never heard of the really. Room. Never heard of Tommy Wiseau. Never heard of this. I watched it with her and I couldn't fucking believe what I was watching because that's a movie where there's some money in it. Like, it's not like Birdemic yeah, where it's like, money in shit. It. it's not like, a, it's like some like effort went into this, but it's just, it's like if you gave a decent, um, uh, low budget, like you gave somebody a budget, uh, for an independent movie, a decent budget. And it was run by somebody that's like a goddamn lunatic. Because he, I'm sorry, he is no way. He, the guy's, the guy's nuttier than a fruitcake. I mean, holy shit! And the story behind him, nobody knows where he's from. He says he's from Florida or someplace. He's like, no, you're not. You're no. from like, like Europe somewhere, dude. Or you? I mean, what? Where are you from? Then that's what makes it so interesting. The mystery behind this. Where did he get this money? Because he fronted all the money for this. Right. And it's just amazing. Oh, my God. There's so many quotable lines from that. It's just, you know, you're tearing out my heart. Then just all of this shit. I'm so glad you watched it. Oh, there's a well in when I was watching it and I'm watching like these terrible cuts and all like the even the editing. It reminded me of what you said about Birdemic, about that boardroom scene where everyone's clapping. And then they thought, oh, yeah. And then they start clapping again. And, yeah, they, and they, they don't understand about, you know, you, you've got to go back and fix that. And they don't. It's all just recorded right there. And, oh, <laughs> and, you know, that's what you can always find something, 
you know, it, it, the movies that bore me the most are these, you know, something that has a huge, big budget in it. And it's just meh. Like you watch it and you just forget about it. It's not terrible. It's not bad. It's not good. Sure. But it's just meh. That's nothing. I give me a big hunkin' piece of shit. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Love it. Oh, there's so many too. There's so many. But, there is. You can tell too. And the other thing that I also like is like more independent stuff. That like stuff again, you stuff you've never heard of, and that you can tell like somebody. And there's mistakes, right? There might be a line of dialogue that could have been cleaned up, or an edit that could have been done better, or a prop that was kind of like. Ugh. But you can tell like the passion that people yeah. put into these, especially like the better ones. Granted, I'm not talking about the room or Birdemic at this point, but uh, and I can't even think of any off the top of my head. But you can tell, and that was one of the things that I learned listening to you talk about movies for literally like two years or whatever it was that I spent up there with you, learning how to identify like what is good dialogue and bad. Because I remember the first time I talked to you. It, about movies specifically we had talked about the prequels and for me unlike you i grew up on the prequels those were my star wars movies so to me they were they were cool darth maul was the best fucking villain ever until you were like okay chill a minute let's <laughs> let's dissect this a little bit and then you realize like okay yeah it had to have been insanely hard for liam neeson and and you and McGregor to act on a fucking green, just a green screen yeah. with no nothing around them. And what also too is that I mean, and this has been talked to death. I mean, as far as like the sure. prequels go, and again, kind of the same thing with uh, Godzilla '98. With those, I've learned to appreciate them more. Um, it's just sad because. I truly believe if they were directed by somebody else, those could have been really good movies. Um, it's all about direction, though. You look at the old Star Wars movies. When I say old, my God, I saw those all in the theater. Um, there was a sense of realism to them. And what I mean by that is you always had a character like Han Solo that was you and me. I don't believe in any of this shit. Like, you know, right. he was that guy that's just, you know, the nor like his acting was so good because it was just so natural. Like, you know, all this dogma and religion and all this shit. Like he's talking about the Jedi. Look, I've been around this universe here and there. I haven't seen nothing like that. You know, just that right. alone is like, that's cool. And the dirtiness of it, it wasn't, you know, that's what I think the prequels were missing. They were missing the realistic. Di now, I know, again, talking about Flash Gordon. Yep. That's where Lucas was getting his. That's where Star Wars came from. So if you look at those prequels, it's very Flash Gordon. Um, I mean, that's what they were. If you look at those old serials, um, the old comic strips from back in the '30s, and you know, going up into the when they when they did the I can't remember when the serials were around the actual the filmed ones. I think they were actually in the '30s too, but they were cheesy as hell. I mean, they were just run-of-the-mill comic strips hmm. you know he even you know the a lot of people don't even realize this the crawl you know the famous star wars crawl comes from yep. flash gordon if you watch old flash gordon uh the the serial ones that's it, he totally ripped it off i mean i had it no is, idea oh it is completely flash gordon it it's is crazy because that crawl is like iconic today of flash gordon. star wars absolutely it is flash oh, gordon shit. 
watch look up old and you and just google that and it's like he that's where star wars comes from is flash gordon and it's just so funny that wonder would have i wonder what would have happened if he did get the rights and he made a flash gordon movie honestly i don't think it would have been as good because he came up with these characters as good as flash gordon oh no it wouldn't have been as good as flash gordon there's no way it would i mean i'm sorry it wouldn't have been as good Star Wars is so good. I think Star Wars is good because he because didn't get to make. Flash. I got yes. you. I got you. Because got he you. had to come up with his own characters. And then it grew from there, the father-son relationship and all of that. And because of the time when it came out in the 80s, when film, you know, they started to take it seriously when Star Wars came out. The way it was filmed, um, very gritty. Um, I think that what made it looks so good science fiction films before that everything looks so clean and nice this was one of the first times that we saw no it's not it's dirty and gross and like you know grimy the the robots i mean a lot of people are, uh, when watching them recently again my wife now is a huge star wars fan i think she's even more than me we went back and watched them all again how gross everything looks yeah. Like R2-D2 and C-3P, it looks like somebody threw shit all over them. They just yeah. are rusty and gross. Everybody's got dirt all over their face. It's just, you know, it's what made aliens so good, too. I mean, they were just truckers in space. That you watched when you were four? What's that? Uh, let me see. Five, I believe. Oh, or I'm five. sorry. We're, we're splitting hairs here, Greg. There's yeah, I no was big price that my parents would have let me watch that shit. And <laughs> that's what started this whole thing was the, really that movie. I had seen Star Wars and look it had an it had an influence on everybody my age. Yeah. It did. Sure, sure. But it wasn't until Alien really um my father for some reason they my father and mother had seen it in the theater. My dad, of course, loved it. My mom actually liked it, too. She thought it was terrifying, but at the time, everybody did. My uncle actually had screaming nightmares about it. Um, Dude, no way. Oh, yeah. He woke up in the middle of the night screaming after he saw that movie. Because at the time, we had never seen anything like that. As far as a creature design, as far as just a movie like that, um, of the body horror. And just, you know, something invading somebody like that and bursting out of your chest. Oh, but another iconic scene. Oh, yeah. It's just it's horrifying. Um, but when I saw that and, you know, the way that Ridley Scott filmed that, you never knew the scale of this thing until the end. I, at first, when I saw Alien for the first time, I thought it was giant. I thought there was two aliens. Because the way it was shot, and probably because I was five, I thought there was two of them. I thought there was one that was the size of a man, and then I thought there was a giant one because of the way that he shot it when it grabs the first guy and pulls him up, and that's the way he shot it. You're like, what the hell is this thing? You couldn't tell if it had three arms, four arms, because he knew the limitations of a guy in a suit, and he worked around it. And he also had one of the greatest artists ever that ever lived was H.R. Geiger. I mean, shit. I mean, the guy's mind alone is a nightmare. Um, so when I saw that, I, I was intrigued. 
And I actually felt sorry for the alien at the end when it got blown out of the airlock. Because I remember the movie ended. My father looked over at me. He goes, are, are you all right? Because he thought for sure, oh, my God, this kid's not going to sleep for three weeks. Oh, God. <laughs> sure, you know. Sure. And I'm like, you know, I felt really I, – I was sad. Like I looked disturbed. And I go, I think I – I don't know if I started to cry, but I was like upset. I go, I, I didn't like that they killed it at the end. It was just doing what it was supposed to do. It's just, in, you know, just – and my father I was like what the fuck is the matter with you and that look he gave me he just was like oh my god what the fuck did i just create a monster and he did he did he created a monster from that point on all i wanted to do that's when really effects came into my head like and i and then i researched it and back then you didn't have the internet shit you know you didn't have anything so i had to go to the library and look at books and there was very few things about alien because they wanted to keep it a secret. Back then, they wanted to keep stuff secret. You know, and then you learn that the guy made it actually, you know, HR guy made it out of like an actual human skull, car parts, all of the things that you wouldn't imagine. Carl Rambellini, who did um, the aliens in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, did the mechanic work in it. So that's why it looks sort of the mouth work, everything, the drooling, just how disgusting it was. And it was blending this weird, like, you know, biomechanical sexual veal. That's what I think makes it so disturbing. Because let's face it, folks, it's a giant dick with teeth. <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah. You may not, and people, I can't believe that people didn't, like, back then though, I didn't think of that. Maybe because I was right. a kid, but even back then, growing, it wasn't until later that people started saying, that's a big dick or the, the face hugger. It's a vagina. I mean, it's that's the and that's what brings it back to nature and you know pe people can look at that and go you can make that horrifying i mean it, it is i mean it's basically you know not to get too crude here but it's it's basically uh, the rape of a man a man gets raped that may forcibly impregnated by something and then it has forcibly comes out of him it's the first movie like where it's like turns the tides because you went through all the 70s exploitation movies where women were always brutalized and everything at the height of the 70s 79 this comes out and there's a first time like holy shit seeing something like that and the life cycle of this parasite thing and it's a big dick running around killing people or a tiny one running across the table after yeah. it blows your chest out exactly <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, with teeth, you know, and come on, the, the slime that comes out of it, what does it look like? I mean, I can't believe people at the time really didn't think, I mean, maybe they did because I was younger and they were like, oh, we didn't talk about it. But I mean, right. watching it now, it's like, holy shit, a giant dick that has basically semen coming out of it. I mean, you can't get any more. I mean, Christ. And you look back at it, it's like, I can't believe it. You know, like, it, it, it is what it is. And I think that's what makes it part of it so terrifying. The yeah. biomechanical, the skull that you can kind of see under there, like, what the fuck is that? And that it's just an invasive thing. And its sole purpose I, is just to multiply. I never thought about, the, like, the invasive part, but you're you're 100% correct. Yeah. How how freaked out you are about having something entering your body yeah and just oh, yeah. nesting inside of your chest or your Think stomach yeah holding you down oh god it's so funny how it like trans especially with today 
holding you down, knocking you out, yep. paralyzing you so you can't do anything, and then impregnating you through your fucking mouth. Golly, jeez. With a vagina. It's. I'm sorry. It's a vagina. You look at the underside of that thing. It's a vagina. It's almost like a big fuck you. Yeah, and then it comes right. up a giant dick. And I never <laughs> thought about like culturally either. Like, yeah, you're you know, women are normally brutalized in all these movies yeah. in the seventies, and now in this one, you have a heroine. She's the yes. one that makes it out, and all yes. the other guys get fucked. Literally, bri- yeah, they uh, exactly. And what's brilliant about that movie is it had. I don't want to say it had no names because Tom Skerritt was very well known. And you think going into this movie, well, of course he's gonna be the heroine. He's gonna be in the heroine. He's gonna be the hero in this. Right. And it, no, no, nope, he's fucking psych. dead. <laughs> And you never know who's – that's what's the brilliance of that is that you you don't know who's going to live or die. Because once he dies, you're like, oh, shit. Well, now what? You right. know, All the cards are off the table now. Yeah, and that's what makes it so good. Yeah. Um, that's why people go back and forth with alien aliens. Which one do you like more? Which one – I think aliens is more um, pop culture. Okay. Uh, is definitely the more quotable one. It's the it's fun, you know. It's scary, but it's fun. It's actiony, and it's great. But you, I I don't want to even compare the two. People compare them. Alien and Aliens are so different, but they 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 work so well together, and that's what makes a great sequel. That's what makes a an amazing sequel is that you can go into there, and I I really don't know anybody that was a fan of Alien. That hates aliens. Right. I mean, I, I I know there's people out there that hate it. Ooh, the queen, blah blah blah. I could just hear it now. I don't like the life cycle. They changed it, but I mean, even H.R. Geiger loved the queen. The idea of a queen being there. Um, but yeah. Well, let's keep going really quick. I know I've t- I've taken a ton of your time, but dude, I'm fine. Last man. thing, keep on going. I got all right, man. I'm good. <laughs> Last thing for me, at least in in the whole alien thing is how do you feel? Because I just on a whim a couple of weeks ago just watched Prometheus mm-hmm. and I still feel like I don't fucking understand the point <laughs> of the whole like quote unquote origin story there. Do you well, feel like when they go back and do these like, you know, and we just talked about Star Wars too, prequels or or I forget the term for the later ones, but sequels sorry that was a fucking dumb thing for me to say do you feel like people or directors writers artists effects artists actors should have the ability to like make those type of changes or have to add to the story like what are your thoughts especially with the alien franchise sure i mean i mean look and it was ridley scott coming back to it so you know you thought i mean at least i thought okay um, the problem is with Prometheus is that was originally not supposed to really be an alien movie. Oh, the, really? scripts, the script started out as an alien movie and then he took over and he said, I want to do something original with it. He wanted to do basically chariots of the gods is what he wanted to do. He even said numerous, numerous times, the alien is done. The alien has been played out. The actual creature, we're talking about the xenomorph. Yes. It's played out. He didn't want to do it anymore. 
And of course they, you know, I'm sure studio executive says, well, you know, we got to throw it in there some, somehow. And at the end, we all know it's called the Deacon comes out of the engineer. Now with me, I, I didn't think the movie was terrible. I thought it was gorgeous for one. It's a gorgeous movie. It's shot so beautifully. This, the CGI in it is impeccable. Uh, I did not like the story. Uh, I, I, I just thought it was convoluted and confusing at times. And there's no, what are the rules? There's no right. rules. Right. Everything, you know, black goo goes here, turns somebody into something, comes out of his eye. Uh, impregnate sex and then squid baby comes out. And then, it was just a jumble. Uh, to me, it was kind of, it was very messy. Really pretty to look at. And, you know, I enjoyed elements of it. The other thing that I did not like about it is that the introduction of the engineers. Mm-hmm. To me, one of the scariest parts of Alien was just not knowing. Mm-hmm. Alien is very simple. They go to the ship. There's something on there. You don't know what it is. They get this egg. It's got this life cycle done. Aliens. Again, Simple. You know, and Ridley Scott always said, well, why doesn't everybody want to know what the space jockey is? That's what that alien is sitting there. Yes. And to me, what always made that so terrifying is my my vision of that thing is, is that that's what its sole purpose was. It was fused to that fucking chair. It was miserable. And that's all it did was drive that ship. That's what it was, a biomechanical mess that was just made to drive that ship. And that was an actual creature, not... I'm sorry, not Dr. Manhattan from fucking Watchmen in there because that's what it turned into. I mean, right. it, to me, and again, I know what he was trying to do. It was ambitious, but it was so vague. The scientists were just in a movie that takes itself so seriously in the beginning. This is so serious. They picked the dumbest fucking scientists. First of all, these two guys show up and they're scared of corpses, but they stick their faces in like snake vaginas. Oh, come here, baby. Come here. It's just, it, I was laughing at that part. I'm like, are you an idiot? Like, what the fuck's the matter with you? You're scared of a dead thing that's been dead for thousands of years, but you go and stick your face in something that you have no idea what it is, you know? And again, if they didn't take it seriously, then that's one thing, but they took it seriously. It'd be yeah. like Blade Runner or something like that. Another thing that Ridley Scott does in most of his movies, there's not really a goofy, besides Legend, a goofy Ridley Scott movie. His movies are usually pretty fucking serious. You got Gladiator, you got Alien, you got Blade Runner. Um, you know, his movies are pretty serious. And then you do these really stupid things. The It just went everywhere. It was like, what am I watching? And it's trying to be an Alien movie. And same thing with Alien Covenant, which was the sequel to Prometheus. To and then now with the others, Aliens. And yeah. it doesn't, it just, and, and originally, and that's another one. When he first started that movie, he said, there's not going to be a xenomorph in this. There's no xenomorphs in this new one. We're going to more, this is going to be more about the engineers. I swear to God, it was like a month later. They, the title was Alien Covenant. Oh, it's an alien movie now. And you could tell that there's no plan. There just isn't a plan there. And it's evident. There's there's evidence that there isn't because 
they don't make any sense. It's like they literally made this stuff up. And sometimes things are uh, that are left mis- you know, mysterious are better. That's what's terrifying. You know, it's what the you don't the unknown. See, yeah. That eight, uh, for me, if they were ever going to do something with the space jockeys, I wanted it to be goddamn crazy. Like we're talking again, going back to like HP Lovecraft, horrifying stuff. And there were rumors that that's what Prometheus was supposed to be like cosmic horror, like stuff that if we were to look upon, it's just so terrifying. Like there's supposed to be, you know, the whole head thing, that thing was supposed to, you know, the giant head, the statue, there was yep. rumors that that thing was supposed to be alive. Like it was supposed to like open up its eyes and like talk and shit. That's the kind of craziness. If you're going to do something like that, go nuts. And they didn't. It just, it was yeah. to me, disappointing. Very disappointing. Beautiful. Nicely shot. Was. The, the, the planet that they were on. Oh, like when gorgeous. they had those like pan shots where you see them on their four wheelers or yeah. whatever, driving up to the temple. That would look really cool. Yeah. They had some great sets, a lot of in-camera stuff that they had. A lot of it was CG, but they, he believes like there was actual sets that they built, uh, vehicles that they built. So I I really enjoyed that. But when it comes down to it, if the story doesn't really grab you, you know, and like, why couldn't they get an actual aged actor instead of getting, what's his name? Play an old man. Um, Oh, with the, uh, yeah. And they put just like, prosthetic whatever the fuck just, just looked, to make him look old yeah he looked like mr burns um it's just, <laughs> it just goofy you know it's just you can make any here's the thing and you can make anything exceptional you can take any prem, premise and people say oh it's just a monster movie oh it's just this oh it's just that but you can take something that you would think would be absolutely goofy and make it one entertaining, serious, compelling, um, sad, uh, and a great movie. The movie that I always go to, and I, I think you know where I'm going with this, the movie that I always go to when people say, oh, you know, you should just take it for what it is, just a big, stupid, goofy movie, like Transformers or something like that. You could make that good. You could make that amazing because there was a movie that came out in 2009 about freaking space bugs that came and they talked like this and it was up for an Academy Award for Best Picture, District 9. It's incredible. It's sad. It's 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 amazing. It's one of the best sci-fi movies in the past, dare I say, 50 years. It's incredible. An incredible movie about space bugs. I mean, when you talk in space bugs, it's hard to beat Starship Troopers. See, no, yeah, that's I love that movie. I do. It's great. But that's a campy that knows it what it is. Yeah. People shit on that movie when that came out, and I don't understand. You knew coming into it, the first frame. That see, now there's a movie like we're talking about Prometheus, where it you know, Prometheus takes itself seriously, and then they do really stupid things. So that takes you out of the movie. Whereas in Starship Troopers, right off the bat, this is a total common, you know, this is just absolute like like banter. It's just hysterically funny. I mean, it's a comedy. It really is. But it's gory as hell. It's fucking awesome. And it's done by Paul Verhoeven, the guy that did RoboCop. Same thing. RoboCop. When that came out, I was a kid. I was maybe 12, 13. 
when I saw that preview, first of all, I didn't know it was rated R. And, you know, in previews, they can't show you all the cool, gory shit. I was like, mm-hmm. this is going to be the dumbest fucking thing. First of all, RoboCop? This looks so stupid. The guy, walk, you know, Peter Weller walking around like a robot, like, you know. Okay, and then it comes out, and I go and see it. And it just fucking blew me away. Fucking amazing. Tragic, though. Sad. Like, yeah. that scenery gets shot. You can make anything good. You can. You just have to have the right people to do it's it. It's such a razor-thin margin. And it's not just for movies. I mean, we're talking about music. We're talking about art. We're yeah. talking about anything that a person can craft. There's such a razor-thin margin between it being what it was supposed to be as opposed to just like a complete like i guess meme of itself for lack of a better word like it just turns super goofy so i can't take this seriously and i'll go back to to last thing i'll go back to the when you were talking about when you saw tarkin in star wars with the eyes it takes you completely out of the movie and the point of me watching a movie is i want to get lost in another story in another place you know, I want to go somewhere else for a little while. So with certain movies, they've got to dance that line really carefully between, you know, acknowledging what it is, but then keeping you into the story, glued right. into the whole thing. Because if I lose you at minute 45, you're gone until the yeah. end of the movie. Well, with Target, with Tarkin, you may not have noticed it, but your brain did. Right. Your, your yes. brain did. You you really are like, whoa, you're, you're so, even you won't even say it. I don't care who you are. You look at that and you go, that guy's not there because there's other people that are walking around. They have little imperfections and stuff and they try and they did have imperfections, but it's just something about it. That's just not there yet. Um, I think Marvel is getting close to doing that with the de-aging process. Some of that stuff to me looks, that's where I can say, Holy shit. I mean, the first time they did, I think the first time that really wowed me was in Civil War when they de-aged Tony Stark, um, Robert Downey Jr. For that yes. one little scene yeah. where they had his little hologram thing. I, I was, holy shit. This looks like, this looks like he did in, um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. did in um, uh, Back to School with Roddy Dangerfield. He looked just like himself or in... Um, Weird science. That's a, that's the one. That's the Robert Downey Jr. I grew up with. So I know like what he looked like when he was younger. I grew up with that guy. So when that came on, I was like, "Holy shit!" Did they get like clips from that movie or something? Because no, they just de-aged him. Yeah, that's where because he's in there, and I think they still use his eyes. And they, the, I don't know if it's the software, the technology, or what they're doing, um, but it looks amazing. Looks awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna let you go on that. I appreciate all the time you've yeah. given me. I could fucking geek out and fanboy with you Absolutely. for hours upon hours. But yeah. Uh, again, I appreciate everything. I'm so sorry that I didn't get to record the other two hours because that was just as fun and fascinating. So uh, thanks for for going on the rodeo with me again. Really, this was a lot of fun, man. Anytime you want to do a, another one, part two, whatever, man, I'm game. Hey, no problem, man. You take it easy.